This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of The Bullpen with Adam the Bull. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. We're talking baseball this week on the podcast. Why? Because spring training is here. The games have just started, and there's a lot to get into. Are the Guardians a legit contender or not? Later in the week, we'll talk with Jim Rosenhaus, one of the radio voices of the Guardians, and longtime Major League player and broadcaster C.J. Nitkowski. But today, we talk with Zach Meisel. Great beat reporter who covers the Guardians for The Athletic. He's going to join me next right here in the bullpen with Adam the Bull, brought to you by Bet Rivers. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, we are now joined by my friend from The Athletic. He covers the Cleveland Guardians. Unfortunately, there's not been a ton to talk about for the Guardians. I mean, there is, but not in terms of new additions to the team. Zach Meisel of The Athletic is with me now, live from, uh, well, by the time you're watching this, it won't be live, but he's in Goodyear, Arizona, and he'll still be there. Uh, Zach, how are you? Thanks for joining me. So this will take, what, like five minutes, because there's not much to talk about, you said? <laughs> well, I could do, we could do two hours, but uh, we'll, 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 probably not five minutes either. But yeah, it's a disappointing offseason. But you know what? I don't want to start with, with with negative. Let's let's start with some positivity because it's been kind of a negative offseason. There are some things I, I, you know, when I'm looking at this team and saying, okay, where will they end up in this division? First of all, the division is not that good, so that that's a positive for them. But they're, you know, listen, we'll get into all the young players and how, how many ifs there are in the lineup. If this, if this team is going to be a legit contender to win this division, I'm not sure they are, but if they are, it's going to be on the back of the pitching staff. So let's start with the rotation. There is a boatload of talent. You might even argue that the Guardians have more talent in their rotation than almost any team in baseball. So let's start right there. And I want to start with two guys that were injured last year that are keys to this, and that's Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie. Now with Bieber, you have also the specter of his last year of his contract. And with McKenzie, he didn't have surgery last year, so... Are, you know, kind of are we holding our breath the whole season? Where are you at? Where are they at at this point right now? How are you feeling about those two guys? This is going to sound weird to say. Do you feel like they're almost built better for October than they are for April through September? 100%. And it's funny that you said that. And I'll give this, you this real quick before I get back to you. Because we were talking on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show the other day about which team has the best chance to win a championship, the Guardians, the Cavs, or the Browns? And I made the argument that it's the Guardians, even though I think they're the worst of the three teams. But because of the, you know, baseball baseball more than any other sport, you don't have to be the best team to win, unlike in basketball and football, where the best or one of the best teams more consistently wins. But because of the pitching staff, 
I assume if the Guardians do make the playoffs that their pitching is going to be excellent. And if it is excellent, when they're in the playoffs, I think they could beat anybody. So, yes, I agree with that statement a thousand percent. Yeah, it's weird because I, I understand your argument. I I still would probably put them third in that discussion, but it's... They probably are. But, but. it's it's... It is interesting, though. I mean, I, I we don't have to belabor this point. Um, but in the NBA, it's all about building habits, right? Because you you don't really need to turn it on until mid-May if you're a contender. And in baseball, it's, it's not even that because we've seen teams limp into the playoffs and then catch fire because they have a really good bullpen and they just happen to get some timely hits that week. That's right. And in football, it seemed like you had to just win that war of attrition for 17 weeks. But I think the Chiefs just showed us that if you're that talented, you can sort of take the NBA path where it's, well, let's just figure this out when we need to figure this out. Um, so I think I feel like I felt better about the Browns as the answer to that question until mm. what we just witnessed. In the oh, playoffs. yeah, 100%. So uh, with the Guardians, I mean, it's weird because if, if you're going to get to October – it's what would make you a threat in October that's going to get you there in the first place. Um, I don't think it's just holding your breath with Beaver and McKenzie. I think it's holding your breath with the rotation in general because you also have three sophomores. And right. those guys are still trying to learn how to – none of them have thrown 180 innings. None of them have had to face major league hitters who are now able to adjust to you with a full year of a scouting report. So I think the rotation could be top three in baseball. I think there are also some major pitfalls. And the concern I have is the depth isn't what it has been in the past because you just took three top prospects and they're, they were in your rotation last year. So, you know, how many starts are you going to lean on Ben Lively and Carlos Carrasco and Xavier Curry if the answer to that is not that many? And I think the rotation will be in really good shape. And, you know, there are encouraging signs from Bieber who had some diminished stuff. I know I was talking to Tristan McKenzie about him workshopping his slider to make it more effective. Um, I know he's really eager to get out there and make up for lost time last year. So, like, there are good signs. I think Gavin Williams could take a huge step this season and be a frontline starting pitcher. He's got three really, really good pitches. So there's a lot to like. It's just, this is baseball. You never just rely on five starters. And for them, it's, you know, are there going to, is there going to be a month in the season where like Logan Allen needs a trip to AAA and McKenzie's on the injured list and you've got Lively and Curry making six starts a piece. Like that's where it gets a little nerve wracking for me. Um, but you're right. If, if they're going to win the division with 86 wins, like the rotation's probably going to be really good. Yeah. I want to talk more about Gavin Williams. You mentioned he could take a huge leap. We were, we were having another debate on the, on the show the other day. You know, if you had to bet on one Guardians pitcher to win the Cy Young, who would it be? And I said, well, you know, the easy name is Bieber because he's done it, but I said, I think in the end, Gavin Williams is the most talented pitcher they have right now. And so I bet on him, even though, you know, a sophomore pitcher winning a Cy Young is pretty uncommon. 
But I think in the end, he's got better stuff than Bi- Bieber has at this point than Bybee has. And, and I love, you know, listen, they're all good. But I think Gavin Williams really is the best of the bunch. And it wouldn't stun me if he had a 200 strikeout season, depending on how many innings he pitches. Is, is he capable of, of being in a Cy Young race? Is he that good if he gets enough innings? That's a pretty big leap. Um, yeah. I think the main thing to me is if you look at the metrics – his curveball and his slider last year just dominated hitters. And I don't even think he used them like to the best, the optimal way. His fastball, we saw, I mean, he was throwing like 100 in AAA. Then he came up and there were some starts where it was like 93, 94. There were some starts where it started at 96 and then was 91 by the fifth inning. And then there were some starts where he was hitting 98, 99. It was after like Carl Willis reminded him you got to throw with more conviction and tweak this in your delivery. And if he's able to find out how all three pitches can play off of each other, I, that's how he gets to that next level. And I, he has, I mean, he's huge and he throws hard. He's got two wipeout breaking pitches. Like that's the dream, right? So yeah, I, I think the, the goal for him, I don't know if it's in 2024, but I, in the very near future, you're hoping that he's a guy who's 200 innings, 200 strikeouts. And we became accustomed to that in Cleveland, seeing they had a rotation full of guys like that. So if it is as soon as this year, yeah, I mean, that's how, like, I don't think you're going to see 2020 Bieber ever again. I think you can see a better Bieber. I think a healthy McKenzie is still like an awesome number two starter. I think Bybee proved last year he can be a, like a number two type. But Williams is that guy who, like, I think the ceiling is the highest. There's that ace yeah. potential. And there's also the potential for him to struggle and to not throw enough strikes and um, still go through some growing pains. So it's a lot's on the table there. You mentioned uh, a couple questions ago, Carlos Carrasco, who everybody's excited to have him back. We understand he, he's got little, if anything, left in the tank. He was horrible last year with the Mets. I don't know if you've gotten to see him yet in camp. Uh, do If you had to bet on him making the roster, would you bet yes? And is there a possibility, if everybody's healthy, that they might use him in the bullpen? Yeah, if I had to just – right now when we know nothing, we've seen very little of these guys. I, I think there's a way for him to make the – like I would – there's one open spot in the bullpen. That could change. Guys could get hurt. Um, but I think they're going to look at, like, they're stretching all these guys out, Carrasco, Lively, Curry, Gaddis, Cantillo, and then it would make sense if in that one spot in the bullpen they wanted someone who could throw multiple innings. And Carrasco, I think, would have to accept an assignment to AAA if he doesn't make the team. So I feel like it just makes sense for him to be that long man to start the season. And let the other guys keep starting in AAA until you have a need in the rotation. He said he was throwing 90 to 92 in his first couple bullpens. And he said usually he's 86 to 88. And then once you get on the mound and you're more stretched out and you've got that adrenaline, that's when you see a few more ticks on. So he's he was excited because his velocity's dropped the last couple of years, you know, he's not throwing 95 anymore, but right. if he's already throwing 90, 91, maybe a couple ticks onto that. He's pretty happy with where he is. 
Zach, let's go to the bullpen where there was a lot of rumors this offseason that Emmanuel Colossae might get traded. Certainly, he'd, he'd have a lot of value in a trade because he's in a long-term deal. He's getting paid relatively nothing for a closer. Obviously, he wasn't as good last year as he was in 2022, but he was still good. Uh, do you think they ever came close to trading him? And even though, unlike Bieber, who's almost definitely going to get traded at the deadline if the team's not good, sometimes with a closer, they might have even more value in the tra- Closers can be very valuable. We saw it with Andrew Miller with the Guardians. We saw it with Araldis Chapman and the Cubs in 2016. Uh, do you think they will likely trade him at the deadline if he, you know, if the team's not good? Yeah, so it, it depends on what the needs are. I mean, him being out there was just an avenue to fixing a problem that's plagued this organization for 20 years. And it's yeah. reliable bats in the outfield. And so they figured, what are the ways we can do that? We know they weren't going to spend money and sign a free agent. And it wasn't a great free agent class also. Um, so then you look at a trade and the offers for Bieber were not what they wanted. That wasn't going to be a, a long-term solution by any matter. So, you know, if you could flip class A for a young outfielder who you'd have for three, four years, I think there were ways that that could make sense. Never came to fruition. So that's out there. I think if they're, you know, a middling team, middle of the season, and it's still the pitching's pretty good and the, the lineup just isn't getting it done, anything, everything's on the table. Um, this is not a team that ever looks at things in one year timelines. They're looking at, you know, if they're going to make a move in July, they want that move to pay dividends, not just that summer, but the following year and the year after that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's possible. The other thing is it's easier to develop a good relief. And Class A is, if he's on, like that's top three reliever in baseball material. And you can't just pull that out of thin air. But overall, and especially in this organization, I think it's easier to develop a really good reliever and it is a really good outfielder. So they need to find ways. Especially get, for the Guardians. <laughs> they need to find ways yeah. any way they can to get really good outfielders. And now, again, like so much can change between now and July. You know, maybe Chase DeLauder is knocking on the door at that point. So you feel a little better about the future of your outfield. Maybe Floreal has broken out. Um, so there, are, there's a lot that can change. But, yeah, I, I think a reliever for – Position player trade is always something that's going to be on the table. Zach, um, let's talk about one of the few additions they did make in, in, in the bullpen. That's Scott Barlow. Um, there hasn't been much talk about it, uh, but I actually like this acquisition. He had been excellent for Kansas City as their closer in 21 and 22. Looks a little like Josh Hader. Um, he stunk for Kansas City last year, and then... He got traded to San, San Diego, right? Mm-hmm. And he pitched pretty well for them. Not He wasn't 21-22 Barlow, but he's still young enough. I think he's 30-31, where he could, if they did trade Colossae, he could end up being their closer. And if if nothing else, he's a seems like a pretty good addition at a small price. Did you like that move, and how's he fit in so far? Yeah, I think so. It's one of those where this offseason, where it didn't make sense was what they did spend money on. Like, well, yeah, it's four million on hedges, right? So hedges four million. I think they 
uh, it was like five and a half million more that Barlow cost than De Los Santos. Right. Um, five million on Loriano. So there are some questions there. If you take yeah. all of that out of the equation and just look at Barlow, the pitcher, because who knows? Like yeah. you could maybe he'd be willing to tack on a year or two to his contract because the market for 31 year old solid, unspectacular relievers isn't great. Um, yeah. I he's really interesting. And think about he was in Kansas City. His pitching coach was Brian Sweeney, who came from Cleveland, gets traded to yeah. San Diego. His pitching coach was Ruben Niebla, who came from Cleveland. Yeah. I yeah. talked to Niebla over the winter. He said, Barlow came in like their first day with him. They said, let's change your slider grip to this and try to have better posture and not hunch over on the mound. And like everything was different. And he started, they had him start throwing more two seam fastballs and all this nerdy stuff. The, the point is, this is a move where the Guardians identified things that maybe it's a small tweak, maybe it doesn't show up in the stats, but they think they can work with, and he can be a really reliable seventh, eighth inning guy. So I believe that if they identify something like that with their history of dealing with pitchers, probably a safe bet to have a good year. And I think that takes a little pressure off Trevor Steffen, Sam Hentges. Look, there were even Class A, like, those guys, every single time this team won last year, they won by one run or two runs. Right. There was yeah. never breathing room. And I think that catches up to you. And that's not to excuse the years they have. Um, but if you look at, like, Stefan, every home run he gave up was, I think it was like five of the six home runs were to tie the game or they broke open a tie. Class yeah. A had some really weird luck. And he also needs to get more swing and miss and, and figure out how to go about that. But... Um, you know, I think I really think the bullpen is has a lot of potential. I think the addition yeah. of Barlow helps. There are guys that, like Cade Smith is ready for the majors, and he's got some really good stuff. Um, they've they've got some, but that's like maybe the spot on the roster where they have the most depth, and I think that's helpful no too. Just with the pitchers, we already talked about. Like, I think with all five of those guys, you don't want to push them too hard based on just previous workload totals or injury history. So uh, I think they're going to lean on the bullpen a lot. I think Barlow helps them do that. Last thing I want to hit on before we go to the not great part of the team, the offense is James Karinchek. Um This guy is at times looks like he's the best reliever in baseball. At times he looks like he doesn't know how to pitch. He can't keep his composure. We've seen that many times, both on and off the field. What is his future? What do they what do they think of him as an organization? They think enough of him to give him a contract and not non-tender him. I, that was I, yeah. I thought that they could be on the fence on that one. Um, you know, it's weird. Like the number one thing for him, I think, is he's got to figure out how to hold runners, which is like something you learn in middle school. And I, I'm not going to yeah. pretend like it's super easy to do. Because I, I don't know how to do it, but um, the way the new rules are set up, I mean, he he had a weird year. He was sent down, I want to say it was like late May last year. I think that Pete Alonzo Grand Slam still hasn't landed, by the way. yeah, He gave up six home runs in the first six weeks of the season. And I think, similar to Stefan, like all of them changed the complexion of the game. He yeah. goes down to AAA for a little while, comes back up, 
didn't allow a home run. I think he had like 12 or 13 appearances, but he gave up, he allowed 10 stolen bases. And his thing, like you can't nibble, you can't be so preoccupied with the runner that it makes it so that you don't throw strikes because he throws two pitches. And if you're not throwing strikes, hitters are going to sit on your fastball and they're going to crush it. His curveball is so good, but he needs to get himself into counts where he can throw it. So someone like that, and and this is just the case with bullpens in general, like someone like that could have a year, like we've seen him in the past where he's making 70 appearances and is dominant. And then there are guys with that sort of stuff who some years they can't even hang in the majors. It's just – it's the volatility of the role because it's such a fine line between what makes you great and what makes you in AAA. And yeah. with him, I think the little things are just getting ahead of hitters and holding runners. And if he can do those, again, like this is this is a bullpen that has some really intriguing options. And if he can't, I think he'll be in Columbus. Zach, let's go to the, the lineup. And once again, it's another offseason where you hope they do something. You assume they wouldn't spend money, which they didn't. We talked about the where they did spend it, not maybe well advised, including $4 million for a backup catcher who I know is a great clubhouse guy, but is probably the worst hitter in baseball. And if he's not the worst hitter in baseball, it's the guy who's probably the starting center fielder in Miles Straw. Steven Kwan is, an, is a really good player, but he'd be probably better on another team because he has like, he's just another guy that has no power. I asked both Stephen Kwan and Will Brennan, where is the power going to come from? And neither one really had a great answer. I mean, I, I understand they're hopeful with Kyle Manzardo, but I don't have confidence he's going to start the season in the big leagues. Bo Naylor will probably be more productive than they've gotten at a catcher, but how many? I, I just, I don't know. I have no faith that they can get out of the basement in home runs. Do you? No, and I think you just – they are who they are, right? Yeah. You can only deal with who's on the roster. So if you look at it that way, the first step is just making sure you have no black holes. So a full season of Bo Naylor helps a lot. You know, if you can get David Fry onto the roster as a third catcher, maybe that minimizes how many at bats Austin Hedges gets. Please. And yeah. You know, if you have Hedges and Straw at the bottom of the lineup, that's that's gonna be a long year. But if like Estevan Florial has a good year and they're hyping him up, if you get maybe there's a Brennan Loriano platoon that works, like I, we're we're <laughs> it's it's a stretch. Like you're you're yeah. banking. Florial is interesting though, Zach. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but I think Florial is the one guy because the guy and, and you mentioned it. You wrote the I can't remember the the, the what the the title of the column was, but in the last couple of days you you did a, a little paragraph on each hitter, and then you did the paragraph today on each pitcher. And I read it, and it was good. There was actually a couple of guys I had never even heard of. Uh, a couple of the guys who were you know probably not going to make the team, but um, you, you said it uh, when it comes to Florial. I mean, he's done all he can do at AAA. The Yankees didn't have room to play him. Now he hasn't performed at the majors, but he hasn't played a lot, and and. He's their best hope, potentially, I think, for some power in the outfield that we haven't seen. I think he's the most important player in camp. Because, wow. Because, at, like, at shortstop, you have your pick of three or four top 100 prospects, right? You know, mm-hmm. maybe it'll be Arias, maybe it'll be Rocchio, maybe it'll be Freeman, maybe it'll be Brito, and you plug him in at shortstop or second base and slide him in as over, but you can do that. 
and like someone like I think one of those guys will click right and you're just gonna have to be patient and see which one at which time whatever but in the outfield it's Quan and then it's like a wasteland so you just yeah. you're praying someone pops and they can take it and run with it you know so it's it's I think Floreal is that guy because he's the only one out there who could hit 25 homers is really athletic and can play center field so and and he's also like he should there's like some desperation there. He's 26. Yeah. You're not the Yankees. Yeah. T- you're not a top 50 prospect for the Yankees anymore. You're not being rumored in trades for superstar players. You got traded for Cody Morris. And if you don't cut yeah. it in April and May, you're probably DFA'd and you're out of options. So yeah. it's yeah. it's important for him. And think about how much simpler it makes things for this team if he does break out. You have Quan in left. You have Florial in center. Straw can be your fourth outfielder, pinch runner, and you can go Brennan and Loriano in right. And if that's not working, Jonathan Rodriguez or Davis and De Los Santos or George Valera, like there are, there are options for guys who could be a part-time right field role that can provide power. Mm -hmm. You just, I don't, you're not ready yet to give any of those guys 500 at bats. So, and you think about the lineup, it's like, all right, like Ramirez, Naylor, Jimenez, Quan, like those are good building blocks. You just, you need those players are all better if there aren't also two or three black holes in the lineup. And going yeah. from Straw's production last year to a thriving Floreal is a big difference. Going from yeah. Zanino for three months and then Bo Naylor for a couple months to Bo Naylor 90% of the time, that's a big upgrade. So like the elements are there. They just need a couple guys to pop, and yeah. that's always a risk. Which is why, like, it's like I, I get it. They're not going to spend a lot of money. They should be spending a lot more, but they're not. But okay, what but I don't understand be, is but that there, there's there are many ways to build a team. I mean, they, right? How well, many you, years for have years been talking about making a trade consolidating prospects. Yeah. they haven't done it, and now I think isn't that a failure? Shy. I think they're gun shy because they've yeah. they've made mistakes and they're not used to making mistakes. Yeah. And they're I think they're looking internally and saying, oh, like what did we do wrong with Junior Caminero and? Will Benson and Nolan Jones and um, you know, and I think they're afraid to to make the same mistakes again. And so that's why they're just gonna let these guys play and then make some decisions. But I, you know, it's how they've got like does does this feel to you more like like it feels like 2021? Like how are you all the way back here after yes. you had that great season in 22? Terry Francona saying, We gotta build off this, it should be a springboard yeah. forward. And now you're like back in time. Yeah. And what's frustrating, you mentioned three guys, Caminero, Will Benson, Nolan Jones. Like if you had those three guys on this team right now, I mean, how different. And what's so frustrating is it wasn't like they traded those guys for proven entities because they were going for it. That I could understand. And I wouldn't kill them for that. But they've been looking for. Uh, uh, they've been looking for power hitting outfielders forever and they never really gave Benson and it certainly didn't give Nolan Jones a chance. And those guys were both great last year. Yeah. There's also Yiner Diaz who's a power hitting catcher. Yes, the Astros. For the Astros. Yeah. Like imagine him and Bo Naylor as a tandem. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the process has been flawed. I think they, they committed to playing young players it didn't work in 21, but they had to get rid of some of the fat, like Zimmer and Bradley and Chang. Yeah. And like that was understandable. And then the next year, same thing. 
Like we, they went into that season. It was going to be, Hey, Jose's here for the long haul. But remember they didn't do anything in the off season. It was, it was another year of young players, but it worked. And a big part of that was the pitching staff stayed healthy. Bieber and McKenzie were aces. Um, and then yeah. the problem is they had to sort of pick. They, they they had roster crowds, and they believed in Oscar Gonzalez. They believed in Will Brennan, and they yeah. chose those guys over Jones and Benson. And they're like they didn't have to trade Will Benson. Like Nolan Jones, they traded ahead of the forty man yeah. tra- uh, deadline in November. Yeah, which still didn't quite make sense because Juan Brito had to because be because they never. He was their best prospect at one point, and they never gave him a chance. And if you so make weird. one move like that, like because Brito could yeah. be good, like I can, yeah, I can sort of cut them slack on that. Although you'd rather have Jones because he the, the outfield is the bigger need. Yeah, but the Will Benson trade happened in February, a week before yeah. spring training. You didn't have to do that, and mm-hmm. you know I think you're kicking yourself for that because he'd be he'd be in line for every day at bats or at least yeah. the strong side of a platoon. Let's wrap it up with this. We've talked for almost a half an hour, and I appreciate you taking the time. We haven't talked about the new manager. It's the first spring training without Terry Francona. It always felt like maybe Francona was good for a couple of wins during the season. But I think there's also – I had some criticism of Francona with, uh, you know, the way he was, I thought, too loyal to some of the veteran players like Miles Straw and Austin Hedges. You're not the what only you notice. Yeah, well, certainly. What do you, what do you notice with Stephen Vote so far in this training camp? Um, it's interesting. I, I think the one thing that stuck with me is the fact that, and he said this in his speech to the team ahead of the first workout, and it's the fact that you had the same regime here for so long. I know there was some turnover on the staff. I know the front office is still the same. But you have a new manager, a new bench coach. Everyone has a clean slate. Like, we all assume, oh, Gabriel Arias will probably get the first shot at shortstop. Well, yeah, that's because we saw him last year, and we figure that give him another chance, and if it doesn't work out in the first month or two, like, you move on to the next guy. But... How do we know that Stephen Vogt and Craig Albernaz and those guys won't fall in love with Brian Rocchio? Fair point. They haven't seen any of these yeah. guys. So it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, I went out to, he lives in Olympia, Washington, in the middle of a forest 2,500 miles away from Progressive Field. And it's, um, he's a, he's known for his Chris Farley impersonations, his imitations of coaches and NBA referees and, think that he's got this reputation as like a jokester and a funny guy and he's really reserved and kind of a private guy and I think his big thing is he doesn't want to take away the spotlight you know Terry Francona was a player's manager but he also had so much history and just cachet in the game that he was always going to be the center of attention and he always had a great story to tell and and um you know, especially with a young team, like Terry Francona's the guy, right? And I think Steven Vogt has made it very clear early on that it's about the players and he is able to connect with them because he just got done playing 16 months ago, which is crazy. Right. Um, so yeah. I think he's able to lean into that and be able to build relationships and understand what players are going through. And, he, you know, I remember asking him, in January, 
when I was spending some time with him and I said, like, have you ever had these conversations before? You're going to have to, at the end of spring training, you're going to be sitting with 40 different players and saying, hey, man, sorry, you got to go to AAA. Or congratulations, you made the roster. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I haven't been the manager who gets to deliver that news or has to deliver that news, but I've been the player in every situation. He was DFA'd three times. He was traded. He was 25 years old and a third string catcher in a ball. And he made his way up to the major leagues and became a two-time all-star. So he's been through everything. So many different um, just phases of a career. I think that prepares him really well. And I think the demeanor we've seen so far is one that, I mean, who knows, right? Like so much depends on the players and the roster that you're managing, but I think he has a lot of ingredients to, at some point, be a pretty successful manager. Everybody follow Zach on Twitter if you haven't done so already. Make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. You can read Zach Meisel. You can read Zach Jackson on the Browns. Maybe Jason Lloyd if he takes his time and actually writes an article <laughs> once in a while. You know, every once in a while he gets the, he gets to something. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for taking so much time. We'll talk to you again soon. I miss the beard. Where's the beard? You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull. All right, welcome back. Thanks to Zach Meisel for joining me. Wow, I enjoyed that 30 minutes. I hope you did as well. It was great talking with Zach, breaking down the whole team. Things to love about the team, things not to like about the team. We'll see if they can be contenders in at least a vulnerable AL Central. Uh, More baseball talk later this week. Thanks for joining me as always. Thanks to Brian Monzo for producing. We'll talk to you next time. Where else? But right here in the bullpen with Adam the Bull, brought to you by Bet Rivers. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network.